Hey, welcome to Conversations on the Co-Mission. This is a podcast where we're talking about the topics, the trends, and the issues in missions that impact both the missionary and the churches that partner with them. My name is Tony Balava. With me today is Stephen Madoff. Well, hello once again, Tony. You know, when we started this podcast, one of the things we wanted to obviously do is just mm-hmm. make people aware of different things happening in the life and ministry of missionaries, as well as how it's connected to churches. That's kind of been our desire. But also one of the things that we really wanted to do in using this podcast is just to make awareness of the needs around the world. Mm -hmm. And that hopefully, you never know how the Lord can use this podcast to bring awareness of of kind of the countries, people groups, and things that people should be be praying for, maybe even consider going to. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to today because I'm I'm really excited about the group the, the the area of the world that we're going to talk about today. Well, I don't know why. I'm not sure why that might be, except for that you might know a little bit about the Southeast Asia and South Pacific. Woo-hoo! And that's our area of the world that we're going to highlight today when we talk about Southeast Asia, South Pacific. Uh, I, I don't know if people in their minds if that conjures up an image of a, a particular country or countries, but actually Southeast Asia, South Pacific is a huge part of the globe and it covers how many countries? 35 different countries. Wow. Yeah, mm. it is it is a big area of the world on that, kind of if you're looking at a map, it's that mm-hmm. whole kind of right hand side. <laughs> Southeast Asia includes kind of the top end would be Nepal. Mm-hmm. and Bhutan, that would be the top and northern border, I guess. Then you look over to the west, it would be Pakistan and Bangladesh would be the western countries. And then mm-hmm. going east, you'd have kind of the borders would be Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, mm-hmm. and then everything south of that. So uh, south of the equator, so mm-hmm. all those islands in the South Pacific, such as Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, mm-hmm. as well as then including kind of right there in the middle, Indonesia, uh, Singapore, Timor-Leste, and then, of course, the biggies of Australia and New Zealand. And so that's just to name just a few. There's 35 of them, and I don't want to bore everyone by just rattling off a whole bunch of uh, countries, just a list of names. But it is a pretty big kind of section of the world that I, that I get yeah. the privilege to promote and minister in. Yeah. Well, not only is it a, a big section of the world, with the far north, I have a, a large section of the globe. When you look at the far north being Alaska, Canada, Greenland, it does take up a massive part of the globe. But population-wise, we don't have a huge population in Canada, Alaska, Greenland. We've talked about that in a previous episode where we highlighted the far north. But but Southeast Asia, South Pacific really does have a, a large population to go along with that large place geographically and 35 countries is, a, is an awful lot of countries. Well, it helps when you have India. <laughs> that instantly boosts the numbers. But if you were to take all 35 countries, add mm-hmm. up the population's Uh, that are kind of estimated to be in them currently, Mm -hmm. then you would get a number of 2.4 billion people that are in those countries. And Mm -hmm. again, India does make up over 1 billion of that. Mm -hmm. But there's still, I mean, a lot of people living in these 35 countries. Um, And it is a challenge to try to promote Mm -hmm. because of such diversity. And really... I've kind of 
tried to figure out how, what is the easiest way. Because, I, again, I can't just rattle off 35 countries mm-hmm. at every church I go to and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So I've kind of honed in on the breakdown of these nations and, mm-hmm. and kind of grouping them based on the main faith practices of them. Mm. So, for example, Southeast Asian nations in the South Pacific would, would be the largest Buddhist section of the mm-hmm. world. There are more Buddhist followers in these countries than anywhere else. Mm. So that would, again, include places like Thailand and Cambodia and so many others. Then you would have also the largest Islamic following Mm. in Southeast Asia. That would be Indonesia and Malaysia and and others, Brunei. Then also you have the largest Hindu followers in the Mm. world are found in Southeast Asia. And, and of course, that's going to be your um, India's and other countries like that surrounding. So when I promote it, I usually break all of those countries down to those three, and mm-hmm. then you kind of have your the extras, which would be kind of the South Pacific Islands, where there's a Christian kind of heritage that's happened there, and then your modern first world nations like Australia and New Zealand. But that's primarily how I promote those that, that big section of the world. Wow, that's, that's uh, super interesting because you mentioned the largest Buddhist population in Southeast Asia, South Pacific. I think Buddhist, my mind instantly races towards the Orient and not necessarily Southeast Asia, South Pacific. You mentioned the largest Islamic population in the world. Obviously, I think most people, when you say Islam, instantly that's Middle East, not Mm -hmm. South Pacific, Southeast Asia. So that's super interesting. Something else you uh, talked about recently with me is I learned that there isn't a common language that binds these 35 countries in that in that region of the world either. It's it's pretty mind-boggling. Which which is another challenge in ministering because you take even just countries like Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, all kind of nestled together right there. Well, in Cambodia, they're going to speak Khmer, it's, mm. and that's where the only spot where it's used mm. as a majority language. Then you're going to have right next to it Thailand. Well, that's Thai. Well, again. That's the only place that it's used. Hmm. Then you have, obviously, Vietnamese in Vietnam, and then you have Laotian in in Laos. So all different languages in four countries. And then you go down, you have Indonesia has its own language, uh, Nepal has its own language, and just the list goes on. So one of the challenge really is that unlike finding, oh, let's go to French-speaking countries, and you can find a list of Mm French-speaking countries or Spanish-speaking countries in other parts of the world. Southeast Asia is unique in the sense that each country primarily has its own language, and it doesn't carry over to other countries. Wow. So that would represent a a pretty good challenge for missionaries as well, because obviously they've got to go learn the language, and there's not going to be a plethora of language schools, like if you want to learn French, for example, you can go to multiple schools. You want to learn Spanish, there's certainly multiple schools that you could go to. But if you're going to learn Khmer, you're probably going to have to do it in country <laughs> that's right. and find somebody who would be willing to teach you. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. Exactly right. And, and, and then it's also that thing of, well, when you learn that language, it's good for that country. You can't the, the, the possibility of using it, saying, Lord, maybe I can use this in a different mm. language. Yeah. You know, because obviously missionaries do change in mm-hmm. fields. We've even talked about that yeah. on a podcast. But to do that in Southeast Asia, you have to almost learn an entirely new language. Wow. 
But there are some uh, some countries as well that have a an English influence. I know I was in Papua New Guinea and didn't have any problem at all communicating with pretty much everybody I met. They mm-hmm. all at least had a baseline English uh, comprehension. I know that's one of the official languages of Papua New Guinea. I know there's you'd have to tell me how many official languages, <laughs> but a lot of <laughs> official languages. Obviously, the place where you served, Australia, New Zealand, but there's some others as well, aren't there? Yeah, you can go to Singapore. In Singapore, you can get around mm. in and speak English, and Interesting. It, it is a hub of the world. It's kind of like the financial hub of the eastern part of the world, mm. and English is a primary thing. Malaysia, even, you can get there and, and speak to folks there and interact there. Then, of course, as you said, Papua New Guinea, it's one of the mm-hmm. official three languages. Now, there are, are 850 That's tribal and cultural languages, <laughs> but there is three main identified mm-hmm. languages uh, that the government recognizes as official. Mm-hmm. You could, of course, go into some of these South Pacific islands like Fiji. You can mm-hmm. they There's a Fijian language, but then you can mm-hmm. also speak English and you know manage your way. Of course, it's always mm-hmm. better if you can learn the the local language, but... You can, you know, you can make a go at it. Not learning all the those, you know, languages that are maybe found, like say in Fiji, for example. Right. Right. The, another, I think, super interesting part of Southeast Asia, South Pacific, is that you truly run the gamut of first world nations to third world nations, and basically everything in between, including some really nice island living. Yeah. <laughs> One of the great things about the South Pacific, say, is, you know, typically. And, and people, I'm sure if they're listening, if they've ever had a missionary in to, that's going to Hawaii, <laughs> that guy always, you know, people are like, oh, <laughs> suffering for the Lord, going there to Hawaii and things. But, you know, when people come going to, like, say they're going to go to Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, <laughs> it's just as pretty, probably, if not even more so than Hawaii. But nobody ever cracks the joke. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a legitimate mission field. And so you can escape all the jokes and still get paradise by going to islands in the South Pacific. But you're right. It is very diverse economically. Hmm. You go again. I mentioned uh, Singapore. I mean, that is, you know, first world and, mm-hmm. and business is booming in a sense. And uh, even places like Bangkok in the capital there of Thailand. I mean, that is just as modern in the downtown area as you would expect in any mm-hmm. any part of the United States, like in New York or, or in or Los Angeles. But then you go to find a Timor-Leste, which is just kind of nestled south of all those. And we're talking third world, Papua mm-hmm. New Guinea, which you and I spent time in. Um, third world. Mm. Uh, then, and it, so it runs the gamut there. Mm. And, and even within some of these countries, you can find the first world aspects of it, but then also very much travel a couple hours away and you're going to get sure. third world remote right. jungle. So someone can be in, in say, like... Um, Thailand and Bangkok and be nice living, just like anything here in a sense in Western living. But then you go out to the village in the jungle and it's going to be a lot more different out mm-hmm. there. So even within mm-hmm. its own in uh, borders, mm-hmm. is it going to be that ch- a challenge? Yeah. And, and then also um, the other thing that comes to mind when I think of Southeast Asia, South Pacific, uh, is the, the potential for missionary efforts in, to go forward. And obviously, with such a large play, uh, region and so many different countries, there's always going to be different hoops that a missionary has to jump through. But you truly have some places that are 
almost as closed as could be, I think, in Nepal, for example. And then you have some places that are wide open. Mm -hmm. And we've mentioned Papua New Guinea a couple of times, but truly Papua New Guinea is one of those places that's wide open. Um, What are some other places that maybe are more closed and then more open? And how does that play into actually carrying out the Great Commission there? Yeah, no, great question. Well, in the South Pacific Islands, I would say there's there is a lot of openness. Mm. Places like Samoa, Tonga, Tokelau, Vanuatu, all those islands that nobody ever sees on the maps. You know, <laughs> that nobody are just kind has of, ever pronounced before, or heard before this there podcast. Are those, <laughs> there are all those little dots that are mm. out there. I mean, there's mm. a whole a whole range. Well, there were some great missionaries in the past that came through those islands, mm. and they brought the gospel with them. And so there is now a kind of a foundation of Christian heritage in these nations where there's a openness and a reception. In fact, just in 2018, Samoa changed their constitution to add in, I'm going to not get the wording exactly right, but to add in that we are a nation under the triune God of Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And then it kind of enters the rest of the Hmm. thing. Well, they added that in. And you have other places like that where you can go and there's a respect for ministers, preachers. Mm -hmm. Um, You can go Vanuatu. You can talk to people about Jesus. And it's not like break through all these barriers of Mm -hmm. I want to just try to enter the conversation with them. No, people are eager to listen Mm -hmm. when you talk to them. So it is so unique. And, And to me, it's a great opportunity because... There is a lot of cultural Christianity that's found. Mm-hmm. People know God. People know Jesus. People go even to church. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand the personal relationship that they need to say, I am a sinner and I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. Mm-hmm. So you have already an openness, in a sense, mm-hmm. to all these Christian things. But it's been muddied with just cult- cultural uh, aspects of it. And so to go in and say, hey, let's let's just kind of show you what it means in your personal life and make that connection to the Savior there, that to me is a great opportunity. But then, as you said, to flip that, to close nations. Well, we have some nations that are absolutely adamant we're not letting missionaries in. Mm-hmm. One of the ones that kind of falls in uh, under mine uh, kind of territory is the, is the island nation of the Maldives. Maldives mm. is one of these people, places that some people are even going, what in the world is that? Where is that? Well, if you ever look on a map of India and the peninsula of India, it's just to the south. And mm-hmm. it's just these little chain of islands there. It's a really big tourist area, a lot of scuba diving, a lot of, if you ever wanted the cabin on the water and all that, it's beautiful. But they are 99% Muslim. Wow. And it's a pretty severe crackdown. In fact, it would be illegal to give anyone a track or to give anyone Christian literature to even you I can come as a tourist mm-hmm. but if I was to give anyone any Christian literature then uh, that would be something where I would get get expelled from the country wow and so they they are striving to be a 100% muslim nation now mm-hmm. again that's what they say politically and kind of governmentally is probably a lot different on the, than on the ground, but they are striving to be in a completely Muslim nation. Mm-hmm. Well, then you look at um, Brunei. Brunei, again, another Muslim mm-hmm. nation there that that does not want to—it's closed to, to mm-hmm. missionaries. It's closed to 
to churches and things like that. So you have a lot of the kind of the underground church. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, even in places like Vietnam and Laos, mm-hmm. well, there is there is a lot going on, even though there's kind of laws against it and and things like that that would kind of hinder it. But there's still there is great. The great thing is the the church always goes forward. Yes. The church is always going forward. There's churches in Vietnam. There's churches in Laos. There's, I mean, Christians who are g- giving the gospel out and people <laughs> yeah. are getting saved. It, it's just an amazing thing. And then just w- highlight one more, like Pakistan. You know, Pakistan is one that sometimes you hear on the news about bombings of Christian churches. In fact, a couple years ago on Easter, there was a bombing that killed a bunch of people in at a church service there in, in Lahore, Pakistan. Well, the government actually is okay with Christian churches as long as you don't teach against Islam. Mm. So you can, in a sense, have a church, but as soon as you then begin to, if you say anything against Islam, well, that then brings the punishments down upon you. And and so it's trying to navigate those waters. And so there are some guys doing some works out there in those places, despite the fact that technically it's kind of closed or slightly open. Wow, what an exciting part of the world, really. And, uh, you know, you talk about countries who are changing their constitution to become more, quote-unquote, Christian. Mm -hmm. I remember not long ago in the news, um, Nepal changing its constitution to become more and more non-Christian and really closing down. And what a challenge to be able to minister in all of those countries, promote the gospel, and and yet such an open door, uh, so many opportunities for missionaries to go uh, to different places and minister to Two billion plus people, you said. That is an amazing, it's a really a mind-boggling number, a number that is really kind of hard to wrap your mind around. But you mentioned how you break that down. I think that's interesting to just break it down into this is where the Hindus are and this is where Islam and Buddhists are. Um, and I think that really helps to simplify it a lot. But as I as I thought about that and, and especially the areas where Buddhists are and uh, where Islam is, I couldn't help but to think when when my family and I were raising support back in the 90s to go to Quebec, we met a couple who was uh, raising support to go to the country of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. We spent about a week together in one particular conference, got to know each other and, and spoke at length. They opened up to me on how really discouraged they were by some of the reactions they were getting as they were making phone calls to schedule meetings to to take the gospel to Vietnam. In the 90s, Vietnam was still something that was very much a part of our the Vietnam conflict, was mm-hmm. still very much a part of the conversation in the United States. It, not so much any longer, right. uh, now in 2020. A lot of people don't even remember uh, that as much and, and probably don't learn about it in school as much. Uh, but I remember them saying that they had pastors who would tell them, under no circumstances would I ever let you come to this church and present Vietnam as a mission field because of, just put it bluntly and in their words, because of the prejudice that they had because they, those pastors were from an era where maybe some of them even were in that Vietnam conflict, and they couldn't get past the animosity that they had. And that was a huge challenge. It was really, for me, hard to understand 
from one perspective, but also very easy to understand from another perspective. Yes. And and I imagine that some of that still exists today. Definitely, there is. When, like you said, in that person's experience, well, I've I have talked to folks who have a very similar experience. Like, oh, I just. I really struggle. Like they would never say, don't, you know, like persons, mm. people in the church talking to me, they would never say, don't go there or we're mm. never going to pray. But they say, boy, I really struggle because my thoughts about the people in Vietnam is colored by the war. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I struggle to pray. When you're asking me to pray for a country like Vietnam, I struggle with that because of all that, that mm. I've experienced. But you're right, it is not as much, is not as prominent. But I will tell you this, though, Tony, that there, the prominence is definitely now people's attitude towards the Muslim nations. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Because of everything that more you know, close, close to our time frame is like the um, September 11, mm-hmm. 2001, uh, all that happened there, Muslim beheadings and killings mm-hmm. and bombings and all of that. Well, instantly there is a there is a reaction that people have about just wipe them all off the planet, mm-hmm. just leave, just blow them up and and kill them all, just like in all these things. Mm-hmm. And sad to say, I have come across Christians in churches who have that mindset. When I look in my region, it breaks my heart because I have the world's largest population of Muslims living in in Southeast Asia, you know, Indonesia, which has more Muslims in it in itself. 60, I think it's like 63% of the world's Muslims live in Southeast Asian mm. countries. So we have the biggest swatch of that group. And I've been in Indonesia on a few times. We have missionaries there. And they're dear people. They need the Lord. They mm-hmm. need someone who's going to go and talk to them and, and share the gospel. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes I've preached that churches how we are like modern-day Jonah's. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because of how bad and wicked they were and mm-hmm. evil they were. And, mm-hmm. you know, you hear all the atrocities that the Ninevites would do and the Assyrians would do. And we, in a sense, why would Jonah want to go there? Because look how evil they mm-hmm. were. And probably even, did, you know, did that to the Jewish people. Well, in a lot of ways, I think Muslims are the modern-day Ninevites, where, yeah, In the name of Islam, a lot has been done. But God still wants to reach them. And and I've had the opportunity and privilege to sit and talk with many um, people. I was at a a business school in in Indonesia, sitting with a bunch of students, and they're all all Muslim followers, and to just talk with them. I remember one of them even asked me this question. He said, why do Americans hate us? Hmm. And here I am, I'm the, you know, like, the only American. Talk, yeah, talking to them. And, and I just said, look, there's a lot of reasons why we see things on the news and whatnot. And I said, but I, I am sitting here with you, and I don't hate you. In fact, I love you. And I'm, I'm loving that I get the chance to talk with you and share with you my faith in Jesus Christ. And to just do that, they're people. They're people who have souls. They're people who need the Lord. They're people who are just living their lives. They want to pay their bills. They want to go out and have some fun. They go. They want to just raise their kids and and just like we do. Mm-hmm. They just their culture though is influenced by a, a different faith. Just like here in the United States, Christianity is our prominent faith across mm-hmm. the nation. Of course, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean everyone follows that, and it doesn't mean everyone has even the same. It doesn't have the same impact on everyone. But same thing over there, you know, it may be the predominant sure. faith, but it doesn't mean it yeah. hatred and animosity is yeah. in the heart of every single person. 
Yeah. It, 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 it's super, from one, one way to look at it, super easy to understand that mindset. Mm-hmm. It really is. Absolutely. There's no doubt that uh, in the name of Islam, our country's been attacked. There's been some atrocities that have taken place, so on and so forth. And um, But... From the other side, from the from the not so easy side to take the approach, as Christians, one of our favorite passages is in Romans five, and uh, nobody ever quotes the Romans and goes through the Romans road with anybody that doesn't go go and hit Romans five eight. But mm-hmm. God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then just in verse ten, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And, you know, the truth of the matter is we were all at enmity with God at one point or another in our lives. If you're listening and you're saved, by the grace of God, you've been saved. And and God reached out to you when you were his enemy. Mm-hmm. And that's easier for me to say sitting here behind a microphone than it is to go out and live every day and, and reach out to those people who sometimes are, are, let's just be honest, they announce that there are enemies. I think some of them don't know why there are enemies. Uh, just like the, the one who asked you, why do Americans hate us? And I, I don't think every American hates somebody just because they're, you know, born into Islam and become Islamic in faith, and maybe some of them are Islamic in faith simply because that's what they were born into. That's exactly it. But there's such a tremendous opportunity, and it's not just a cliche to say that the only way that we're ever going to change the mind of of an Islamic person is to get them the gospel and have them trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's that's Bible fact, and that is really the only hope uh, for our world is that— is that we would have missionaries who would put aside those differences and churches also who would put aside those differences and say, there's a greater cause. Mm -hmm. And the greater cause is getting the gospel to people. It was so great that Jesus came to die for it and, and, and so that we could have eternal life. What an amazing part of the world that you get to serve in. So much going on there. Maybe as we just have a minute or so to wrap up, tell us about some of the high points of what's happening in in the Southeast Asia, South Pacific, in, and leave us with some things that, that God's doing, because yeah. he's really doing some great things in that part of the world. He is. Well, we have referenced before the Papua New Guinea Project. So in the South Pacific, you have that, which is just an amazing thing where the government has asked us to come in and give Bibles to all the students mm. um, across amazing. the entire nation. Mm-hmm. Well, that is really a modern day miracle, mm-hmm. and that that stands, you know, that would have to stand definitely in the highlight reel of life right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I think also just of churches and and happening and getting started in in places like Myanmar, or, or otherwise known as Burma, mm-hmm. and here you have a Buddhist nation, and in fact they they claim to kind of have the purity of of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Sort of like if you were to go to Rome, you know, they're going to say they have pure Catholicism, mm-hmm. okay? So this Minmar would say that they pure, but to see the Bible colleges, I've had the opportunity to actually speak at a graduation of a Bible college there and see these young men who are determined to start churches and proclaim Jesus Christ in villages, and, and it's a tough go out there, but they are determined 
to magnify our Savior in spite of some great pressures and some opposition and the fact that people in their village don't really want them there, but they're determined. And and I think of these folks that the world will never know them. They're mm-hmm. just these simple preachers in the middle of a village. But boy, mm-hmm. it was an honor for me to be in their presence. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think in Thailand, I mean, country like Thailand, which less than 1% of the nation would identify as Christian. So you have 99% of folks who would not identify with Christ in any way, shape, or form. Well, boy, that is a, a task to of magnanimous proportions to try to get the gospel into that mm. country. Well, we have missionaries. In fact, it's our one of our largest growing workforce, as far as BIMI is concerned, wow. is happening in Thailand. And so you have uh, churches obviously starting. You have people getting saved. You have people being national Thai folks getting trained for the for the purpose of pastor ministries. Mm-hmm. Church, new churches being started as as offshoots of mission churches. I mean, it's exciting to when I think about what's going on in a place like that where there's so little cumulative gospel work happening. Mm. And I'm excited that in the last seven years we've had more people go to Thailand than any other place in in the Southeast Asian nations. Um, that that's an exciting thing. Then, just so much that's going on. I, I would say this: two last things. I know our time is is running short, so I'll, I'll end with this. When I think about uh, opportunities, I think that again we've talked about largest percentage of Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu. Well, man, if someone has a heart for any of those, go to Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. But even someone who has a heart for deaf people, there are more deaf folks in Southeast Asia and the South Pacific than any other part of the world. <laughs> and there's a lot of reasons why. We won't go into that now. But there are more deaf in that part of the world. And so if someone has a heart to reach the deaf, mm. well, I got a spot for you <laughs> in, in this part of the world. Mm. Children. I mean, there's children. There's some nations that have over 35% of the population is children 0 to 14 years of age. Man, somebody wow. wants to be a youth pastor and reach mm. children with the gospel? Mm-hmm. Man, go to these places and, and go to the, some of these nations where uh, you have, you know, vast number of kids everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And and to me, reach these kids. Mm-hmm. So if someone has a heart for, you know, like, man, I just want to, I have a heart for young people. Wow. Consider mm-hmm. a place like Southeast Asia or the South Pacific where there are children everywhere and you can minister to them. And, and some of these places are quite open to, to mm-hmm. go to. My my every year because I have so many countries it's hard it's hard for, to you know pray specifically for thirty six countries every day mm-hmm. so every year I select five countries I I pray for and I'll end with this and just ask people to maybe join me in prayer uh, even for just the remainder of the, this year for these five nations the five nations I select I pray for every day is Sri Lanka mm-hmm. Singapore Solomon Islands Samoa and Pakistan. And those five nations, I know it all sounds like S except the one, you know, which one doesn't seem like it fits in there, but those five nations, Sri Lanka, Samoa, Singapore, Solomon Islands, and Pakistan, if people would join me in praying for those five nations every day that God would raise up workers, God would send missionaries to them, that God would would, um, make much of the work that's happening there in those countries already, Mm -hmm. I would greatly appreciate that. 
Well, there's so much more I'm sure we could talk about about mm. Southeast Asia. And uh, there's no doubt if you're listening, you can hear excitement in Stephen's voice as he, as he speaks about this area of the world. And truly, it is an exciting part of the world where... As he mentioned, Papua New Guinea, a modern-day miracle taking place, and and both of us have had the opportunity to go over there and be a part of that. That's something we'll have for our entire lifetime to say, hey, we were a part of a modern-day miracle in, in what is happening there. But, you know, in places like Nepal uh, and other places where it may be more difficult, God's still doing some really great things and doing some things through BIMI missionaries, even in those places as well. And if you're interested in, in missions in Southeast Asia or the South Pacific, you can contact Stephen. His contact info is in the show notes, just like always. You can go to our webpage, BIMI.org, and check out the Southeast Asia um, uh, page there. Uh, there's also a blog that uh, Stephen writes, and uh, you can subscribe to it there and take a look. There's a video there that you can learn more about uh, a Southeast Asian ministry in that part of the world. So many opportunities. I trust that you will uh, join him in prayer over these next weeks as we close out uh, 2020 and uh, pray for those nations that he mentioned. And again, we want to just thank you for taking the time to be with us this week and, and uh, spend some time listening to the podcast. We really do count it a privilege to spend this time with you. We know that you have a lot of choices out there, and we're thankful that you have chosen to spend just a a little bit of time each week listening. Uh, If there's a topic that you're interested in, feel free to email us, and uh, we would love to hear about that, and, and perhaps we could fit that into a future podcast. If this is a blessing to you, share it with a friend and let them know about it as well. Again, thank you for listening, and have a great week in the Lord. Thank you.